several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter And I think we have a very compelling topic today It's not just one topic But actually a number of related topics That I think that anybody who is exploring the world of wine Who has a great deal of curiosity Really needs to be aware of And I have a very special guest here to talk with me today It is Bob Sweeney And he is the creator of a very, very interesting new product Which is the Boutique Wine Box And Bob has really become an expert in introducing wine lovers to regions And helping them to understand the differences between the same wines, in other words, a Cabernet, from one region versus another versus another versus another. And that's his mission in life. But there's a lot of stories that go along with this. And I think this is going to be one of the most compelling conversations that we've had in a very long time. So I first want to introduce Bob. Welcome to Grape Encounters. Hey, David. It's great to be here again. Yes, you were here. uh, We did a short piece with you last year. And it was really a good piece. But since then, you and I have had a number of conversations that have really made me think about some of the things that we don't talk about on this show. And in fact, some of them are the dirty little secrets of the wine business. I have to just be honest with you. And I don't know if it's really dirty little secrets of the wine business as much as it is dirty little secrets of people who exploit the wine business. And they may not be wine people at all. So we're going to get into that. I do want to say this, that you have been able to place this product in Costco, which I'm very complimentary of and always have been in terms of wine because Costco is a big company, and that means really that they have the choice of either taking advantage of people or doing the right thing. And in my opinion, they do the right thing, that they bring in the best wines, they have good prices on them, the selections are really good, and you know, usually if they're anywhere close to a, a wine region, they feature wines from that region as well, and that's a good thing. So uh, I don't know how you did it to get into Costco, because that's a big deal. Most winemakers would, you know, give their eye teeth to do that. You're not a winemaker, but it's just a hard thing to do. It was a journey to get through there. I was told by the the main buyer from the Los Angeles region that I got to know, Paul Newman. I love his movies. I love his Italian dressing too, yeah. I was complaining to him one day about how hard it was to get a hold of this one particular person. And he said, let me just tell you that I get calls every day from distributors and winemakers all around the world and I don't return most of them. So it's really hard to cut through there. But we got through, and I think it's just by virtue of the product. Our boutique wine box is really unique. 
and it represents the true fabric of the wine business in California. We're featuring small production winemakers up and down the coast who make truly extraordinary wine that you've never heard of. And when Costco figured out that they could bring that to their members, giving their members exclusive access to these guys, they really jumped at it and really advocated for the product. And I'm forever you know, grateful for that. We're off and running now. So you mentioned boutique winemakers. I want to start the conversation today by talking about fake boutique winemakers, because this is something that really gets under my skin. And I've in the past interviewed a number of people who are, they're called negotiants. And what they do is they just buy either grapes or grape juice, and they buy it in bulk. And generally speaking, it's not the good stuff. They buy it by the tankerful. And this juice can show up in the darndest places. But very often, the juice shows up in a bottle that looks like it was made by a mom and pop, you know, winemaker, and it's not true. And it's irritating, and it's something I'm not sure really what the best tactic is for consumers to figure out whether or not this is a legitimate small winemaker or whether they're being scammed. And it's not fair really to use the word scam because a lot of these wines are, you know, for the price you're going to pay for them, you know, $3, $4 at some stores. You know, if you just want to drink regular old table wine, it's fine. But don't make me believe that it's something that it's not. And that's where I get really irritated. Your take on that? It's a giant subject. And it's really, frankly, what motivates me. I've come to know many, many, many winemakers and heard their stories and their their education. And I've listened to this. A lot of them don't like to talk about it, but I call it grocery store wine. And I don't say it in a, in a negative way because, you know, there's lots of great wine in grocery stores, but there's a lot of wine in there that isn't really, I don't, I hate to even call it wine. It's purchased in bulk. It's laced with all kinds of treatments and chemicals and coloring agents and flavoring agents and mouthfeel agents. And it's basically, you know, Coca-Cola with alcohol in it. Nothing against Coca-Cola. It's totally manipulated. Yeah. And there are over 200 ingredients that the federal government allows winemakers to put in wine and they don't have to disclose it. And that's what really gets under my skin because some of this stuff is really terrible that they put in wine. I'll even go, a, a friend of mine, winemaker, very educated, said, you know, I can't prove this, but I have a feeling. I think there's bottled wine on shelves in stores that's not even fermented grape juice. Get out of here. He says, I, get I, out of here. If you could find the, the right scientist, I think it's just grape juice with flavor and color and alcohol added and I, they mass produce it. I can't believe it. I don't know. It's, I, it's a I've conspiracy never, theory. Never, that is a really good conspiracy theory. But go ahead and taste some of that wine it's and tell me. probably the FBI is doing it. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you know? Mueller. It's Mueller. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's Bob Mueller. Bob. Um, me- <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right we, let's stay we're getting that. off the path now. So, so what you're saying is this friend of yours, is he in the industry? Yeah. He's a big time winemaker. He is. Yeah. And he says that what they're doing is they're taking grape juice and they're adding like a clear alcohol to it. Well, you know, that's kind of how brandy's made a lot of ways. But so they're just taking the step out. They're not using wine with brandy. They're using grape juice with brandy or grape juice with, with alcohol. It's wow, um, I'm going to be in trouble for this. Yeah. I know I'm going to well, be in trouble. You know, just I'm, even bringing this up. But. Put, put my disclaimer on your website because, you know, I'm not saying this is happening. But I'll tell you what, my background for many years, I, I, I was the top wine tour guide in Central California. That's how I learned the business. And one of the things I 
do on a wine tour is I bring a, a paper bag along with mystery wine. And I usually pick one of the top sellers off the shelf at a grocery store. And I know a little bit about these wines. And, and so I'll go through the tasting of these fabulous boutique wines and then I'll pull out the mystery wine and I'll let everybody have a taste. I'll say, pick your favorite wine from the tasting and I'm going to pour a second glass for you and I'll put the mystery wine in the glass. They taste the mystery wine. I watch the expression on their face and then they taste the boutique wine and they all say the same thing. I get it. So the, the, the mystery wine is basically – It's a grocery store wine. Low quality. The alcohol overwhelms you. Um, it burns your mouth. It's very flat on your tongue. There's no layering. There's no juiciness. There's no aroma. There's no mouthfeel. It tastes like grape juice with alcohol in it. And when you taste it side by side with a really well done wine, you understand that. And that's why my friend's conspiracy theory doesn't really shock me. So I'm going to put the call out to our listeners. We have a lot of people who listen to the show that are in the industry. If you know of anybody that's doing that. I don't want to make a big deal or, or ruin somebody's career, but if you can confirm that, that that's happening, we're not going to name any names. It'd be interesting to find out. But it would be very interesting to find out if anybody has any knowledge along this area. I'm sounding like Art Bell on Coast to Coast now. The big wine conspiracy. We weren't supposed to be talking about wine conspiracies here today, but that's, but, you know, that's a big one, man. The flip side is boutique wine. You know, that's just a term. People, Some people call it ultra premium wine. It's small batch wine. It's a guy who's making two or 300 cases of it. And when you consider the process that that wine's made in, it's being babied. It's being watched every day. It's being tasted. It's being rolled around in a barrel. They use the right oak for the right, you know, wine juice or not. You know, they have cement eggs now, which are a fabulous way of uh, handling wine. They can manipulate that wine to the advantage of the wine. What they're trying to do is they find a great vineyard and they make wine that represents that vineyard. That's it. And you can taste it. Yeah. So that's what we really set out to do in today's conversation is to talk about wines and how they represent the place that they were made, the vineyards where they were grown and so on. So we're going to come back. We're talking to Bob Sweeney. He is the CEO of the Boutique Wine Box Company and doing some fabulous things. I was really impressed with the products that they have put out. And we'll talk about that as well. But it's not a commercial for I can't do a big commercial for you, Bob. People want to learn here, right? And we're ready to teach them. Okay, we're going to be back with more Grape Encounters. My very special guest, Bob Sweeney here today. So hang with us before you can even take three sips. We'll be right back. No good story about wine deserves to be bottled up. Committed to uncorking a new wine story every day is your host, David Wilson, right after this. We like to talk about wine. Hi, it's David Wilson, and if you're a frequent listener, you know that I constantly tell you the importance of aerating most wines. If you don't, you're simply not tasting your wine in all of its glory. Well, there's a remarkable new wine aeration product out that's beautiful, mesmerizing, and destined to revolutionize conventional decanting. It's the V-Spin, a gorgeous decanter that sits on a simple stand. But inside that stand is some very innovative magnetic technology, which enables the wine in the decanter to swirl silently, creating a vortex that exposes the wine to the perfect amount of air in just a few minutes, accomplishing what otherwise could take hours. And you can adjust the speed and time to perfectly suit the wine varietal. 
I've put the V-Spin through rigorous testing, and the results were consistently stunning. And you can now buy it on Amazon. Learn more at vspin.us. That's V as in Vino, spin.us. He's back, and he's not alone. Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson and a little help from his friends. Boy, oh boy, you know, I always like to talk about the positive subjects where wine is concerned, but we got into a real interesting, dark subject there a little while ago. We're going to talk more about that, but I do want to tell you on the very positive side of life, I am so thrilled that we are now sponsored by Peak Ranch, and these guys are making some of the best wines I have ever tasted. For those of you who have listened for a long time, you know, I'm not really a Pinot guy. I'm man enough to say that I don't drink a lot of Pinot, but I will tell you this, Peak Ranch is making some of the best Pinot you have ever tasted. Where there's good Pinot, there's good Chardonnay. His Chardonnays are terrific. His Syrahs are amazing. And what's so crazy about the Peak Ranch story is the fact that it's owned by John and Jillian Wagner. John is my oldest friend in the whole world. And we don't keep up with each other as much as I would like to. And so about five or six years went by where we really didn't have much contact. He didn't know I had gotten into wine journalism. And I didn't know that he had bought up a bunch of vineyards and also started Peak Ranch. And the wines are just great. And uh, Bob, my guest here, Bob Sweeney, you have not had Peak Ranch wines yet. I've seen them out there, but thanks for the backstory. I'm going to go get more aggressive about that. They're not cheap, but they are well worth it. And they're getting like rave reviews. I was just so stunned. So anyway, check it out. You can go to peakranch.com and buy a few bottles and have them shipped to you. And you will enjoy them immensely. Anyway, talking with Bob Sweeney here. Bob is with Boutique Wine Box. He is the CEO. And really the topic of the day is talking about how much of a difference region makes where wine is concerned. Because I as an owner of a wine shop, see it every day of my life that somebody will come in and they'll say, well, I don't like this or I love this. They have preferences. And usually when they don't like something, it's because their experience has been in a very small world where they've not tasted the difference that environment makes when it comes to making wine. Now, there's a, a term, and Bob, I want to get your impression on this. I hate this term. I just, it's so pretentious. It, it just makes my skin crawl every time we use the word terroir. Just, it just sounds stuffy, doesn't it? It's, it sounds so pretentious and people have no idea what it is. Yeah. And it's, it, it's a term that I'm going to say, you know, like 10 years ago, we didn't hear it much. Now we just hear it all the time. But to be fair to this French word, it, it is in a very, it is a very important part of wine and the character of wine, because what it's really referring to is all of the things that influence the taste of a wine based upon the region, which way the wind blows, how much difference there is in temperature between evenings and afternoons and morning, the soils, the hillsides, the the other foliage that grows in the area that may influence the flavors of the wine, so many things, anything that you can think of that puts an impression into that wine is what terroir is. 
And it is way different from one region to the next. It's kind of like, you know, you go out and you buy an orchid and it does okay. You put it in the window, you baby it, it does okay. But then you go to someplace like Hawaii and orchids are like weeds there and they just flourish in that volcanic soil there. And wine is the same way. Now, it doesn't mean one's better or one's worse. It just means they're different. And depending upon your taste, you may love Pinots from the central coast of California, or you may love them from Russian River Valley. You may love them from Monterey, where they make Pinots that I like very much. You may love Oregon Pinots, but they're all really different. Do people, Bob, understand terroir? Is it something that people take seriously, or is it just the hardcore wine lovers that do? That's a good question. And I would probably say no, people don't really grasp what that is. Most probably think it's the ground and they don't understand why is the ground in Napa different than the ground in Santa Barbara? What big deal does it make? And what you're saying is it's not just the ground, it's the whole atmosphere that that wine, you know, grows in. And to me, the most fascinating thing about the regional aspect of wine, especially in California, and the, the flavors, because you can have a cab in Santa Barbara, Paso Robles, Napa, and Sonoma that can be completely different. You'd be hard pressed to think they were all cabs, but it's because of the influence of the area. Uh, and it's, it's profound how the, how the same grape can be so different. That is a good word. It's profound. I mean, it's, it, it's so huge, the difference that if you really take the time to, to sit down and put these wines side by side, you know, a, a Cabernet from four different regions could even be from the East Coast and definitely from France, you know, the Bordeaux region. I love French Bordeaux. I, I, I love Cabernets that are made in Bordeaux. I love Cabernets that are made in Napa. They don't taste alike. You're never going to put them side by side and say, these are the same wine because the difference is going to be huge. And it's not just terroir, it's also winemaking techniques. And one of the things that I've heard a lot of California winemakers also say is that our practices in terms of making wine, the sanitary practices and, and sanitation, you, you can over-sanitize. Let, let's be clear about that. I mean, we're dealing with something fermenting, so you could be too clean, I think, too. But we're very sanitary here. And in other countries, not so much. And that impacts the wine. Now, some people love the mustiness that comes from that, you know, these old wineries with old equipment and stuff like that. But it's different, and it's always going to be different. The interesting aspect of this is the terroir should be interesting, Okay. So you don't want to just have a piece of dirt with a typical weather day. You want to be in a valley or on a hilltop that has a wind every day from one to three and fog in the morning, fog at the night. You know, the temperature variance might be 40 to 50 degrees on a summer day. Um, you want to have different kinds of soil so that you can have different kinds of expressions from what the rootstock's going to give you. To me, interesting wines come from interesting terroir. Interesting places. And you go around the state of California, you go to the Santa Rita Hills in, in Santa Barbara, you go to the uh, west side of Paso Robles, you go to the mountaintops of Napa, or the the Russian River, that musty, dark area of Sonoma. Those are really interesting places. I mean, you just pull off the road and you look around and go, this is a really cool place. And then you start analyzing the temperature and the wind flow and all that stuff. And you, you realize there's, there's ingredients here. That's why you want to go out and taste wine around the country, around the world. Because when you taste the wine in the environment that you're in, 
you understand the wine. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's an instinctive thing. And I, I know it sounds a little crazy to say it this way, but it's instinctive. You're there and you're being influenced by the environment and you're drinking the wine that was made in that environment and it fits and you don't know why it fits, but it fits. Well, especially if you add to that a boutique winemaker who is striving to make a wine that represents his winery. And that's another art form. Um, and that's the part of it I love. Okay. My guest today, Bob Sweeney, CEO of Boutique Wine Box. What Bob's doing, uh, he, he has tackled the challenge of, of bringing a variety of wines from various regions together. And he puts them in half bottles, not whole bottles. But we'll be back in just a second with more Grape Encounters. My guest, Bob Sweeney. People sometimes say it's the wine talking. Well, everyone knows that wine can't talk. That's why a bunch of grapes got together and hired David Wilson to do the talking for them. (laughs) David will uncork today's story after this. I want to tell you about one of my absolute favorite treats in the world. I take a piece of triple cream brie cheese, put a few very special 100% organic heirloom walnuts on top, and then drizzle a little honey on it to make this a purely irresistible morsel of deliciousness. Then, I pour myself a small serving of decadent port-style wine to create the perfect complement. That's just one example of how I pamper myself with products from MM Organics in Paso Robles, California. Now, you're on your own with the honey and brie, but the walnuts and port-style dessert wine can be ordered online at mmorganics.com. They've also got lots of other delicious walnut products available, including their peerless sprouted walnuts in lots of decadent flavors, organic gluten-free walnut flour, raw organic walnut butter, estate organic walnut oil, and fair trade dark chocolate covered walnuts. MM Organics products are among the best in the world. Get yours shipped right away at mmorganics.com. about what he spends on wine, but liberal on how much he pours his friends. Here's your host, David Wilson. We are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and if you know me, you know I'm full of opinions, but the real question today is, what about Bob? (laughs) Bob Sweeney is here. I love Bob. He is a very forward-thinking guy, and he's doing something that I think is a, a great service to the wine universe, and that is that he's assembling ensembles of wines from different regions so that you can get a it's kind of a crash course in the region you can you can taste these wines different varietals side by side and you just go oh you know what i i like the profile of that region and here's a question for you bob in one of your boxes let's say you might have a cabernet sauvignon you might have a malbec you might have a viognier a chardonnay something else let's say if you like one are you likely to like the others because that regional characteristic imprints itself on all the varietals. What's your take on that? I think each of the the four main wine regions in California, Napa, Sonoma, Paso Robles, Santa Barbara, all are very different in what 
they produce. I could almost describe to you in a word or two the general fabric of each of those four areas. So we do, in fact, strive to represent those areas in each of our sampler boxes. So if you do have a cross-section of white, rosé, medium reds, big reds, they all are going to have a theme. They're not going to taste the same. They're made by six different people, but they're going to have that sense of that region. And that's, to me, really fun. And I'm getting comments all the time that people sense that. And I really like the Paso box. There's lots of stuff fun in, on the internet about wine. One of them is a guy who can tell you what wine you like based on what food you like. So you, you fill out this whole survey. Do you like barbecue? Do you like apples? Do you like honey? And then he'll tell you, this is going to be your favorite wine. You know, that's kind of fascinating. It's the similar concept about how people look at these regions. It's how your mouth is. It's what you like. Those regions bring out certain aspects of the wine. Not even the flavor of the wine. It's the aspect of the wine. It's what this wine is kind of about and like. And I have to say this too, that there are some regions and I, you know, I, I have never been one to ever diss anybody on this show. I just don't do it. I do think to each his own. But there's a region or two out there that I just can't stand the wines. There's nothing you can pour in my glass that I'm going to like. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this. Part of it is mental with me. For instance, oftentimes people feel that they have to plant certain grape varietals because they're popular. You know, I'm going to plant Cabernet because everybody loves Cabernet. Everybody loves Chardonnay. Got to plant Chardonnay. But it doesn't grow well in that region. Now, there's going to be a market for it because there's somebody that's going to like that. That's the person who paints their house pink. I mean, people eat things that I would never eat and they love it. And I got to run to the bathroom. You know, it's it's just, you know, we're all different. And I suppose that an argument could be made that if you're in a particular region, let's take Greece as an example. There are some very, very tannic, huge wines that an American palate would have a really tough time tolerating that are just so over the top. But that's been part of the cultural fabric there. And the food and the wine have evolved together and they work really well. Right. So if you go there and you drink those wines, you're going to go, wow, I'm having a great time. This all works really nice. You come back and you pair that wine with your bowl of pasta and you're saying, well, it's red wine and, you know, pasta with, you know, marinara sauce or whatever. It should work. No, it doesn't. Not necessarily, I should say. So the regional, the cultural influences make a big difference. And so that's why it's fun when you go to a wine country Eat the local fare because chances are the chef in the restaurant is using vegetables that are grown locally and they're influenced in the same way that the wine is influenced, that same soil influence. And as a result, you get the simpatico thing going on. Agree? Food and wine go together. And if you separate the two, you've lost the point because they did evolve and change from country to country over all these centuries. You know, when people say, you know, what's the best wine out there? What's your favorite wine? God, I hate that question. I know. It's the answer is the one you like. And because it's, it's a personal thing. What is, what is your palate about? Do you smoke cigarettes? Do you drink scotch? Do you, what kind of toothpaste do you own? Do you, you know, blah, blah, blah. So those kind of things influence what your mouth is telling you. And, you know, another thing is, you know, my mother used to have a deviated septum. One of her nostrils didn't work. Well, she didn't like wine. W- why? Because she couldn't smell it. And because, you know, you've got to engage your olfactory senses to get, to get your taste buds working. So there's a lot of factors involved in how it all works. But it's super interesting that around the world, and particularly in California, you know, California is a big state relative to the other wine regions of the world. The taste profiles are completely different. And, you know, I'm not from California. I was raised in the Detroit suburbs, moved out here in my 20s. I love the wines from Detroit. They're fantastic. Fantastic. 
fantastic. Um, they go great with bratwurst. Yeah. So in mustard. <laughs> um, well, when I came to California, I was, you know, I loved California. It was this fabulous, fascinating place of, you know, you can ski in the morning and surf in the afternoon kind of a thing. Well, when I came to know wine, it's the same way. What, there's a journey in California about wine and you have to know the region. So, you know, the way we're presenting this, it's like, go to Santa Barbara, learn about Santa Barbara, spend some time at the beach, then go to wine country and figure that wine out. Then go up the road to Paso Robles and see it's a completely different place, hot and, and fun and, you know, very pastoral, very old west. It's the wild west of wine and the wines reflect that and on and on. So it's a great story and it's a, a great way to learn about, you know, California wine originally identified there are other people out there that are doing what you're doing in, in different ways mm -hmm. i think yours is very unique in the way you're doing it with half bottles but i've been seeing more and more people that are doing really small you know sort of like uh airplane size bottles right you know it's basically a glass and it's just a taste and i i think is it is it called um Tastingroom.com. I think yeah, that. I'm yeah. Familiar. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And uh, nice guys uh, over there. I've talked to them. They've been on the air before. I think their process is, is that they get bottles from the wineries and then they just fill these little bottles in this really, you know, scientific kind of room. And that way you can, you know, order a bunch of the little bottles and try it and see what that's all about. I don't know if that's a big enough taste, to be honest with you. I mean, you can get, what, about two and a half glasses out of one of your bottles? Yeah, two and a half to three, sure. Sure. And so the point, you know, ours is designed to, if you like it, have another glass. Or you can do a tasting party with one of our kits where you can have your friends over and there's enough in there for eight or nine people to taste. Or you, you can have a bottle and your partner can have a bottle. And it's, you know, a couple of glasses is not too much. So if you like something, first taste, you want another taste. You want more of it. So we figured out the half bottle size was really ideal for that. Well, so I have a question about that. Why are there so few half bottles out there? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And, and, and I say this because it is very common, almost more common than not, that in a household, there's different tastes. So let's say a husband and wife want to sit down and have a, a nice dinner and a glass or two of wine. It makes so much sense if she loves Chardonnay and he loves Syrah. You know, what I see people do, and this is really, uh, this is a mistake, guys. I'm telling you right now, don't do this. Generally speaking, what people are doing with wine is they're trying to find a middle ground, a wine that he likes and she likes or whatever, whoever your partner is. And that's a huge mistake. And, and you shouldn't do that. Because now you're both compromising what you really want. And so it makes a lot of sense to me that we start packaging wine in smaller containers. Single serving size kind of. The flip side of that is one thing that's happening right now in the, in the wine industry in a big way, and I advocate for this, really, I do, is the influx of boxed wines that are premium or even super premium boxed wines now. And you may not know this, but if you go into a high-end restaurant, there's a pretty good chance that on the buy-the-glass program, that wine, even though it's a wine you're familiar with, you know it costs, you know, 50 bucks a bottle or something like that, it's coming out of what we call bag-in-box. And they do it for a reason because as you pour the wine, the bag in the box collapses. There's never air in there. And so the wine lasts a really long time. It can last for weeks and weeks. And I just think that we've got to stop compromising by, you know, like if, if you like Chardonnay, Bob, and, and I like, uh, like I said, uh, Syrah, what, what are we going to drink together? 
I don't think I know a couple, a married couple, that would choose the same wine for dinner. But they do. They well, go, well, they let's, all right, let's try yeah, – uh, let, let's do Grenache. Maybe Grenache is somewhere in the middle. It's not. Right. But but maybe it is, you know. So, but but then the on on the flip side, when you buy a big bottle of wine, then you're going to have to take that wine and and hopefully be able to preserve it. And the chances are, unless you're using a Corvin, if you got a Corvin, that's great. And if you don't know what that is, we've talked about it a lot on the show. But if you don't have a Corvin, then you're going to put a cork in it, maybe a stopper in it, and that wine's going to be good for a couple of days, and that's it. The white wine's going to last longer. The red wine's not. And by the way, put the red wine in the refrigerator, please. Yeah, exactly. It's going to slow the deterioration process down. Listen, I got to take a break here, Bob, but we're talking uh, to Bob Sweeney. We're talking about the regional influence on wine, why it's important, and how the industry is moving right now to try to make it easier for us to, you know, figure out not just what we like, but what we like from where, because where is where it's at. So just what is a grape encounter? It's when wine is the catalyst of a really great time. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue in just a moment. For nearly four years, I've taken many opportunities to tell you about the place that Grape Encounters Radio calls home, Atascadero, located right in the heart of the spectacular California Central Coast wine country, which offers a lot more to see and do than simply enjoying the world-class wines we produce here. Atascadero is a town where people are remarkably friendly, food and accommodation prices are far lower than in other wine countries, and every activity imaginable can be found just minutes away in any direction, including world-class wineries, ocean sports, and breathtaking beaches, cycling, equestrian activities, sightseeing, hiking, hot springs, farm-to-table cuisine, cider houses, concert venues, shopping, and so much more. I've had countless visits from around the country by listeners at the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar in Atascadero's historic colony district. I hope you'll be next. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. Did you know that you can visit us in person? right in the heart of the Central Coast wine country of California. We can get you a special rate at one of our loveliest hotels, introduce you to some epic wines in person, help you chart out amazing self-guided winery tours, and tell you stories that we're not allowed to share on the radio. Okay, that last one was a, a stretch. Here's David. All right, Bob and I were talking during the commercial break, and I asked him if we could snag some of the boxes, even though they're reserved mostly for Costco, right? I mean, that's one of the yep. largest accounts that you've got. That's, so you're, that's the wines are spoken for. Correct. But you could get me like a couple hundred boxes, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, we can pull it out. Yep, yes. we can. We held some back. All right, let's do this. Okay, if you would be interested in one of Bob's boxes, and I, I hadn't intended to do a commercial here, but we can do this. We're going to put it on grapeencounters.com, which by the way, we're now selling some very select wines and some packages of our own through Grape Encounters, but they're large bottles. So you know what? Go there, grapeencounters.com and go to the store and you'll see Bob's boxes there and you can just buy one and we'll put a big fat discount on it. 
Because, I, don't, I don't care about making money here. I, I just, I just like the idea. And if, if people want to try it, they can do that. Can I get those in the next, you know, a couple of days so we can actually put them online? Let's do it. All right. Yeah. Okay. Good. So we'll do that. And just go to grapeencounters.com and go to the store and, you know, check out what we got there because I think it'd be fun. And yeah, what the heck? And I think we can pretty much ship anywhere in the country. So yeah. Um, yeah. We can get to most people. Some states we're going to have to say, nope, can't do it because, uh, the rules, by the way, in, this country, it's just ridiculous. Uh, this is where I could rant and call some people out, especially states out that are so, uh, you know, their rules are so antiquated. It's just so dumb. Yeah. It's going to change though. It's changing really fast in some states like Texas. Oh, by the way, I got to tell you, Bob, we are launching this weekend our new podcast. This is it. I have uh, kept this under wraps, but it's brand spanking new and it's called The Wine is Talking. And it is a great podcast. Awesome. And it's uh, not what we're talking about on this show. It's called The Wine is Talking. You got to remember that name because uh, you go to thewineistalking.com. Thewineistalking.com. And th- the first podcast is about how to maneuver restaurants and restaurant wine and restaurant wine lists. And it reveals a bunch of the dirty little secrets. Cool. That's you know, dirty useful. little secrets yep. that happen. If you want to know what the markup is on a, on a, a, a glass of wine, <laughs> we're going to tell you. And we also are going to tell you if you started with a bottle in Bordeaux, let's say, and you know, you got to go to the importer and then you got to get, you know, there's shipping charges and it goes to the distributor and then it, it goes to the restaurant and then it goes into the buy the glass program. And all along the way, ching, 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 price goes up. You won't believe how high it goes. It's crazy stuff. Anyway, I'm sorry. I got off on a tangent. The wine is talking. Oh, there's a link to the wine is talking at grapeencounters.com too. But please go there and subscribe, please, will you? And if you're not a subscriber to the Grape Encounters podcast, by all means, do that too. And you can do that at iTunes. Now, the wine is talking. Just have the first episode out. There'll be uh, subsequent ec- episodes every week. But this is the first one. I'm very excited about it. Let me know. Uh, drop us a comment. There's a comment box there. Let us know what you think. Okay. Anyway, back to Bob Sweeney, the boutique wine box. So just talking about the, the regional characteristics. So let's talk about these major regions in California. And I think you've picked the pretty much four of the biggest. Yeah. And by the way, yes, we talk about California all the time. We we have to talk about California because it's where 90% of the domestically consumed wine is made. And, you know, that's it. And uh, it just happens to be what California does. And so, I mean, if you want Maine lobster, you're not going to get it from Idaho. It won't happen. Or any of the other states for that matter. I guess maybe some of the other eastern states. But anyway, if I had to ask you, Bob, what, you know, in a word or two, I'll give you a sentence. The differences between those four regions that we were speaking about earlier. Could you do that? Absolutely. And I'll tell you how I acquired this little, I'll call it trait or skill, I guess. When I went shopping for wine for the boutique wine box, you know, I go up and down the state all the time tasting and I was looking for a cab. Um, for, from the, why, why didn't you just call Uber? No, shoot. Why? why <laughs> Actually, I, I hire a nice young lady in Paso Robles to drive me around. She's awesome. All right. So, so you're looking for a cab, not and, that kind of cab. Right. You know. So I, I, so I started, uh, you know, started Napa, you know, big Napa cab. That's what we all like. 
Then you go to Sonoma. Then you work your way to Paso Robles. Then you go to Santa Barbara. They all make cab, and they're entirely different. So that opened my eyes, and I started to like, what is going on here? And so, without telling you the big lecture, because that's a long story for all of us to really, you know, grapple with and understand. But in Napa, the tastes generally are deep and dark, like a blackberry. Uh, in Sonoma, they're a little earthier and mustier, kind of like a portobello mushroom. Down in Paso Robles, it's juicy, fruity. And in Santa Barbara, it's very layered and tasty. So depending on how you approach food in your life, what you like, do you like barbecue? Do you like bratwurst? Yeah, but I don't like mushrooms, and I love Sonoma wine. So you know, we talked. Now, about what this. am I going to do? Put a portobello. You know what it in is? A fry pan with some you know olive oil is, and salt I don't pepper. like mushrooms. I don't like the texture. Well, it's it's probably if the texture of a mushroom was like a, a steak, then I, I I'd be okay. Portobellos can be that way. A little char on them. All right, you're going to have to cook for me. I, I will. So the the point is, is that you can kind of, and I'm generalizing, but well, I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because there's wild varieties within those areas too. But generally, you can look at those areas and. And go taste wine, and they'll fit that a little bit. And certainly the Cabernets down in Paso Robles are not like the Cabernets in Napa. And you might like the cabs in Paso better. It just depends on how you approach it. But the, the four regions of the state are wildly different. And that's why approaching it regionally, is it's a great way to learn and tour and have fun and indulge yourself. Try to figure out those commonalities. That's yeah. what I enjoy. Yeah, we're, we're out of time here now. But I, I if there's a lesson to be learned here, it goes like this. If you... Find yourself in a rut and kind of find yourself just going to one region. I just like Napa wines or, I, you know, I just like wines from Paso Rebels. Maybe you like wines from Missouri. If that's your safety zone, get out of it. All right, Bob, it was nice to have you here. If somebody wants to know more about Boutique Wine Box website. BoutiqueWineBox.com. BoutiqueWineBox.com. Okay. And then we've uh, scarfed up some boxes and um, we're going to have them available at GrapeEncounters.com. So go there. Click on the store and you can do that and it'll be fun. Or, so, or don't, or just go do it yourself at the, when you go to a wine shop, just, you know, try different things. You know, I don't care if you buy it from me or anybody else, but I do love the wines that are in the box. And, and they're all like a 90 plus point winning wines too, yeah, right? To get in our program, they've got to be award winning. That's really cool. That's yep. cool. All right. Bob, a lot of fun. Great. Great, David. It was I awesome. Great. Let's do it again. I appreciate you being here. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters. Be sure to check out the podcast. It's the new one, the wineistalking.com. Check that out. If you've missed episodes of Grape Encounters, just go to grapeencounters.com. We've got 468 episodes there. Crazy. This week's Grape Encounters is down to the last drop. Don't let that trouble you. We're headed down to the wine cellar in search of something remarkably special to share with you next week. Until then, we've got hundreds upon hundreds of past episodes ready to be uncorked at grapeencounters.com. Help yourself to anything you'd like.